listening to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. You guys doing good? Yeah, I, I, I thought, you know, what, what uh, better way to start um, someone, you know, um, I'm sure all of you have seen it on social media today. Um, the service is, is a vision service. Now, this is Vision Sunday, and I, I endeavor to cast a vision charter course for the church. But before I do that, I'd just like to share a little story about myself. You know, most of you uh, know me well, but some of you might not know me. But I just want to share a little story. You know, I've shared this story before. But um, one of the things I like to do is I like to, you know, play jokes and I like to um, be funny with, with people, as you can tell. Um, and I remember I was in, in ministry school and uh, we had uh, these homework that we needed to do. And, um, you know, sometimes you just like, it's just really hard to answer certain questions. And so I like to quote a verse in the Bible in Deuteronomy and it goes, the secret things belong to the Lord. Beautiful. And so you know, when I didn't, don't know the answer to a certain Bible questions, I just put the secret things belong to the Lord. You know, I just put Deuteronomy 29, 29 and just leave it there. You know? And uh, some of my friends would text me you know, and be like, hey, Andre, you know, what do you want to eat for dinner? And then I would just put Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong. Because you know, I'm such a wonderfully spiritual person. You know? And, uh, and, and I've, I've, I've been doing that for like some three years of my, my life. You know? I would just quote that verse Again and again and again, the secret things belong belong to Lord Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. I'll just send them that scripture, and oftentimes I wouldn't get a reply. And I'm like, oh, maybe these people are just not as spiritual as I thought, or they don't read the Bible. This, you know, they don't have the value for the word of Lord. And so I'm like, secret things belong to Lord Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, and uh, at Deuteronomy twenty eight twenty eight. Sorry, you know, I've been quoting Deuteronomy twenty eight twenty eight often, and uh. And uh, one day I was just doing some Bible homework. I was just trying to do some cross-referencing. And I realized I've been quoting the wrong scripture the whole time. Secret things belong to a lot. It's Deuteronomy 29, 29. But I've been sending 28, 28. I've been sending it in text. I've been writing it in my homework. I've been doing it for three years. And so today, as I open the service, I'd like to read to you the wonderful passage of Deuteronomy 28, 28. Are you ready? It starts off wonderfully. It goes like this. The Lord will strike you (laughs) with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. You shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in all your ways. You shall only be oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. This is my favourite part. It goes like this. Your ox your cow shall be slaughtered before your eyes and you will not eat of it. Your donkey will be violently taken away from you and shall not be restored to you. And so figure when someone asks me, Andre, what do you want to eat for dinner? And I send them, the Lord shall strike you, brother, with madness and confusion. And so uh, all that to say, I don't have a lot of friends in life. And so please be my friend. Are you ready for God's word this morning? All right, let's pray before we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for the privilege of being in your house, for being in the family. Lord, we thank you that uh, in the family we get to have fun, we get to enjoy one another, but most of all, we get to pursue you as a covenanted community. And Lord Jesus, we ask that through 
the word this morning through what we're about to talk about this morning, that Lord, you will meet your people here. Lord, we, we say that the object of our gathering is not just to produce a performance, not just to uh, check the list, but the object of our gathering is to encounter you. So Lord Jesus, we ask that you'll meet us here. Transform us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that it's not by might, not by power, but it's by your Holy Spirit that lives are changed and transformed for your glory. So God, we ask that you'll meet us here today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you all ready? Today is Vision Sunday. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you have been part of our, one of these meetings, but typically it's it, it, uh, done you know, in the start of the year. Um, pastor comes up, here are the plans for the year, and let's do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. And um, these, these are, you know, that's typically how Vision Sunday is going. You know, it, it charts the course, it sets the direction for the year. You know, vision is uh, a paramount thing that all of us are called to have. We are all called to have vision. The Bible says this, that without vision, men perish. Without vision, men are cast off, restrained. Another translation says that, that without vision, men, are, men go off the path. They go off the intended road, the intended path that the Lord has designed for them to walk on. The word that's used for path is really interesting. The word that's used for path in the Bible is the Hebrew word, hodos. Everybody say hodos. Thank you. You're still with me. Say hodos one more time, just for my amusement. Hodos. Beautiful. You know, hodos uh, occurs uh, many times in the Bible, and uh, one of the times it occurs in the Bible is in this verse that we all know really dearly, or you might have heard it in the song, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the word way is the word hodos. Hodos would uh, mean uh, a path, a road, uh, you know, it's, it, it means, you know, a, a, a passage, passage path road. You know, it means that, you know, like when you walk on the street, that's, you're walking on the hodos. But to the Jews of that day, when you talk about Hodos, it didn't just refer to a physical road, but it referred to a way of life, a way of doing life. Without vision, men go off-road. They go off the way. You know, uh, we are all familiar with this word Christian, and that's what we call ourselves today, you know, as Christ followers, we are called Christians. Um, it might surprise you, but in the Gospels, the word Christian only occurs three times. But the word disciple occurs 234 times. And it might shock you further that the word Christian, that, that, that those three times that the word Christian occurs in the Gospel, they were never uh, said by Jesus, nor his disciples, nor men of God. The word Christian was actually a derogatory term used to describe followers of Christ. The word Christian means little Christ. Oh, you little Christ. It's, it's a racial slur. It's a form of insult. But today we adopt it. We adopt it and we, we call ourselves Christians. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to know that this walk, this Christian walk is so much more than just professing to be a little Christ or to be part of a club. Three times that word Christian appears, but 
when the Bible in the Gospels describes Christ followers, it refers to us as disciples. Or in the earlier days, it refers to them as the followers of the way. In all of Acts, you know, it talks about these people who follow Christ, they are followers of the way, the truth, and the life. And without vision, we go off the way. We go off God's intended path for you and me. Follow me? You know, the, the English language is limited in many ways in trying to uh, describe and decipher the Bible. Hebrew language is beautiful and multifaceted. Um, the original word that's used to describe that word we commonly understand as vision today can be broken up into two words. And those two words would mean to you and me uh, what, what sound like uh, prophetic vision. Prophetic vision. So it's not just about having physical sight or being able to conjure up dreams or goals, but that vision that God intends for you and I to have is prophetic in nature. And what is prophecy? Prophecy is hearing from the voice of God and speaking it out. We are all called to walk in a vision that is of God, that is from God. So it's not just enough to have big, grandeur Christian dreams. We are called to walk in a vision that is defined by the Lord Himself. And we walk on that path. And today our endeavour is to discover what God's dream, God's vision, God's heart is for our house and our people. Today is Vision Sunday. I put it to you that every prophetic vision comes from the, the heart of God. That the prophetic vision is a glimpse. It gives us understanding to the heart of God, to the way He feels to, uh, about certain situations, His heart. His desire. In the Bible, the heart of God, uh, I believe, was encapsulated in a prayer that we all are really familiar with, and that is the Lord's Prayer. You know, uh, it goes like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that is the heart of God for humanity and for the planet that His kingdom will come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I talk about the will of God really often in this church and the will of God has two uh, words used to describe it. One meaning absolute will, one meaning desire. There are desires that God has on His heart that are not manifested on the earth today. The Bible says that He desires that none shall perish. Are people perishing? Yes. And so there are aspects of God's will intent that are not manifested on the earth today. That's why we pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If all that the Lord intends to happen is already happening, then that prayer will be a vain prayer. Am I making sense? It will be a senseless, needless prayer. We don't have to pray, we don't have to intercede because everything that's happening happens for a reason and God already orchestrates and God already intends for it to happen. I don't believe so. I believe that there are things on the planet today that are not part of God's heart, desire, intent, will for your life and mine. That's why we pray that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm making sense. You know, it seems like such a big, grandeur, far out concepts, 
concept, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me contextualize it for you a bit. How about we approach it as this? In Singapore, as it is in heaven. Let's take it a step down further. In the city, as it is in heaven. In your family, as it is in heaven. In you, as it is in heaven. Why do we pursue this thing called heaven? And why do we pursue this thing called the will of God? How many of you know of people personally that are plagued with a terminal condition today? Show of hands. How many of you know people who are in desperate, hopeless situations? Yeah? You know people like that. How many of you have ever wondered or ever been plagued with a desire? Like, I, I, I wish I had an answer, a remedy, a cure for that condition. How many of you thought that way? Yes? I put it to you that there are limitations to the innovations of men. There are limitations to our ability to solve the issues of the world today. And what we desperately need to realize is that we desperately need God. What we desperately need to realize is that that ache we feel in our hearts when we face certain problems, circumstances, negative reports, uh, hearing about people's terminal conditions, that ache you feel inside your heart is an ache for heaven. It's an ache for God's realities, God's will to be made manifest on the earth. You know, we, we all come to church for different reasons. Truthfully, you know, um, the, the textbook reason is I, I come to church for Jesus, you know, and you can't go wrong with that, you know, but many of us are here in this particular church for many, for different reasons, you know. Uh, it could be, you know, we, we are central enough. Uh, it could be uh, I found good friends, good people, and I want to hang out here. Uh, it might be, you know, you like the preaching. Uh, I don't know. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, might be because you like our worship team. You know, our worship team is really cool. You it might be that. You know, it might be our space. You know, I don't know. It might be because people wear white shoes here, and seventy percent of this church owns a pair of nice white shoes. I don't know. We are here all here for different reasons. But I want to tell you the. I want to clue you in on what I believe is your purpose and the reason why you are in this church for such a time as this. We exist as a church to bring heaven on earth. We exist as a church to see the realities of God made manifest on the earth. I have two jobs as a preacher from the pulpit. Job one, I am positioned to make scripture relevant to you Practical, walkable, doable. Yes. That is one of my goals in preaching. I, I want to make this, this thing real to you. I want to make it walkable. I want to make it doable. I want to charge you to live a Christian life in accordance to God's standard, in accordance to God's word. That is one of my goals. But I believe a, another aspect or another responsibility I have as a preacher in this house is to lift your eyes, your vision, your gaze, your expectations beyond what is practical and to almost have an element of illogicality in your life. 
as Christians, in order to walk and live by faith, we need to have an element of illogicality in our life. We need to talk about things that seem far beyond our human grasp and understanding. We need to talk about things that only God can do, that only God can accomplish. Because the world is in need of that. It's in need of divine answers for solution, for, to bring solutions to problems that no one has answers for. And my great desire and hope for this church is that we will be a church that models what heaven is like, that has the realities of heaven present in our church, in our people. Dream with me. What if it's possible for a person plagued with a terminal condition, cancer, to walk through the thresholds of our church, come into our service, and in worship, meets God, experiences heaven, and that cancer just dies instantly? What if a person uh, going, that's going through a real turmoil in the family, relationships are estranged, horrible situations, and coming into a church and finding hope, respite, rest, peace, and ultimately breakthrough in relationships. What if we are that church? What if we are called to be that church that sees heaven on earth? Amen? Are you with me? I want to say this over us today that Prayer does not relegate responsibility. It's embracing a greater responsibility. You know, I'm sure uh, all of us here have prayed that prayer before. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is heaven. Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done. And many times, you know, we we approach prayer uh, through that that perspective of like, hey, I've prayed the prayer and then I'm done. I don't have to do it anymore. It's okay. It'll work out. Kumbaya, you know. Or maybe, you know, we, we, we might not even uh, uh, have the expectation that that prayer would be answered. You know, some of us have a really doom and gloom perspective of our future. And we, the reason why we pray prayers is because it's the right thing to do or it's the thing that Christians do. Here's a point I want to make. You know, if we exalt the discipline of prayer above answers to prayer, then we are in danger of exalting form above power. Jesus never taught us to do or to interact with unanswered prayer. There is no instruction in the Bible for that. We were never meant to live to, and uh, we were never designed to interact with unanswered prayer. When we pray, it should be prayed with and uh, we, we should be endowed with a certain form of expectation that that prayer will be answered. We're all familiar with the story of Jesus in the boat with his disciples, yeah? You know, they were in the boat, storms are hitting, disciples are panicking, Jesus is, is sleeping. And, you know, we, we know the story really well. Uh, the disciples, uh, after looking at the storm, they panicked. They walked into Jesus' room, or, you know, maybe there was one room, and they shook him and they woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing, that we are dying? And then Jesus gets up and then he comes to storm and he turns to his disciples and he goes, oh, you people of little faith. I don't think he said it as nicely as I did, you know, or whatever, but he rebukes them for coming to him, for 
saying, Lord, save us, save us. And he says, you know, you people of little faith. What is conversation with God called? Prayer. The disciples had a conversation with God. They prayed. They prayed. And then Jesus gets up, calms the storm, turns to them and says, you people of little faith. Here's what I want to suggest to you. I believe that there are some things in life that God doesn't want to do for you. He wants to do through you. Prayer doesn't relegate and eliminate responsibility. It's the embracing of a greater responsibility. What am I saying to to us as people today? That your prayers should measure up to the lifestyle choices you make. Your life should be a mirror image of the prayers that you pray. If you pray on earth as it is heaven, if you pray your kingdom come, if you pray heaven on earth, then your life, the choices you make, the disciplines you commit to, the commitments you make should be a reflection of the prayers that you pray. As a church, if this is our desire, our heart, our vision, then surely we need to do something about it instead of having a law-free mentality with the things of God, that when it happens, it happens. When it comes, it comes. I've done my prayer thing. When it happens, it happens. I don't think that's the way we're called to live this faith. Amen? We're not just called to pray the right prayers, but believe those prayers and live out those prayers. Our faith is a faith that demands action. I want to move quickly. The turning point of uh, Jesus' life, I believe, was uh, the baptism of John. Uh, in the baptism of John, you know, we, we know the Spirit of God came upon Jesus and uh, it transitioned him from you know, a child prodigy, a carpenter, into uh, a miracle worker, into uh, the messianic figure that will walk the streets uh, in that day. And in Luke 4, uh, verse 18, you know, um, I have that verse up. You know, we know that Jesus was baptized, yes? And then he was thrusted into a wilderness experience. 40 days, you know, where he was tempted by the devil. In my uh, perspective, that was the one of, uh, that was a real challenging moment in Jesus' life, second to the cross. It was one of the most challenging moments of Jesus' life. And after that ordeal, after going through that hardship, that pain, he came out and he made this bold proclamation in Luke 4 verse 18. He goes, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. The Spirit of the Lord is is upon me. He has anointed me. I want to talk a bit about the word anointing. For most of us, when we, when we hear the word anointing, it refers to like a certain sensing, a certain feeling, goosebumps on, on the skin. But the, the word anointing has a far greater meaning than just a feeling. In the Old Testament, kings, judges, and high priests were identified and anointed for their assignment. The word anointing loosely translates to smearing with oil. And that is what would literally happen to these men of significance. That's why... Uh, last Sunday, on commissioning Sunday, I was smeared with oil and my face was shiny. 
not in the glory kind, but you know, in the you-you kind. David, uh, King David was anointed with a horn of oil. But, but catch this, the oil isn't the anointing. It is a symbolic prophetic act. The anointing comes from the Holy Spirit. This is my favorite definition of what it means to be anointed. To be anointed is to be empowered with special favor for a greater responsibility. I'll say that again. To be anointed is to be empowered with special favor for a greater responsibility. And that's what the Old Testament leaders had. They were anointed, they were granted special favor for an assignment, for responsibility. The anointing always comes with responsibility attached to it. In the Old Testament, only selected men were anointed with oil. But in the New Testament, we, all of us, are anointed when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Let me have those two scriptures up from 1 John. It goes like this. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. But the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. That's from 1 John verse 20 and verse 27. We all have an anointing. You are anointed. Not just the pastor, not just the leaders, but all of us having that collective inheritance in the Holy Spirit because we've experienced the Spirit of God. We are now anointed. And anointing means this, to be empowered with favor for a greater responsibility. What is that responsibility? Let's look at Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says this, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Many times we approach the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit as such. The evidence of a person being filled with the Spirit of God is the person prays in tongues. The person has a prayer language. What if we realigned our perspective a bit? What if we shifted our perspective from the evidence of a person being filled with the Spirit equals to speaking in tongues to the evidence of a person being filled with the Holy Spirit being uh, uh, to some degree, you know, uh, It's okay. Being taken over by the Spirit of God. That a person like that does good. Heals. What if the evidence of a person being filled with the Spirit of God is that he does good works and he heals the sick? Am I making sense? I'd like to draw your attention to that word doing good. The Greek word used here is the word philanthro. And it's where we get the word philanthropy from. Philanthro breaks up to two words human and doing good. God plays doing good on the same level as signs and wonders. You see that? Do good and heal all who are oppressed by the devil. The anointing that we have now received because we are filled by the Holy Spirit, the favor that we have now received is for the purpose of doing good and bringing miracles. What's my point? Vision Sunday isn't just about you hearing the church's vision. But Vision Sunday is for all of you 
to receive a personal vision for benefiting mankind. It's not about all of you coming on board my initiatives or the church leadership's initiatives. It's about you as people being filled by the Holy Spirit, as people who is anointed for a greater work and responsibility, discovering purpose on the earth, discovering your personal mandate to benefit your world around you. All of us are called to have a vision for doing good, for benefiting the world around us. The church of my dreams is a church that has a dream. That all of us will be possessed with our own godly dreams. Is that making sense? Without vision, men perish. It seems so big, this idea of changing the world. But I love this quote from Robert Kennedy. It goes like this. Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events and in total of all those acts will be written in the history of this generation. Few will have the greatness to bend history, but all of us collectively, if we embrace a personal God-given vision, God-given dream for doing good, for benefiting mankind, we can change the world. You know, I, I chance upon this statistic and it says that 76% of Americans profess to be Christian. They profess to go to church enough. They profess to believe in Jesus. But the, the, the same people that did the poll, polled those 76%, uh, to those people who fall under the 76% on how many of you actually you know, believe these things? And he listed down several tenets of faith, several things that Jesus actually calls disciples to do, to follow, to live by, to believe. And out of the 76%, only 8% checked off every box on that list. What if you know, we set a bar for Christianity that was the bar that Jesus set instead of lowering it down to get more converts at the expense of disciples? This might, might sound uh, off-tangent, but our quest to be culturally relevant cannot be at the expense of our sanctification. Our quest to be irreligious cannot be at the expense of our reverence. We do not lower the standards of Scripture to match our comfort or to match what's convenient to us. But as disciples, as followers of the way, we are called to lift how we live our lives to the standards of Scripture. And this is what it says to you and me from the Bible. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be anointed, that you do good. You're on a mission to do good. Bring healing. Amen? I want to read to you my favorite story, one of my favorite stories. Sadly, it's not from the Bible. But uh, it's from a man named Arthur Guinness. Arthur Guinness. And many of you are wondering, is this the same Guinness? Yes, he is. It's the same Guinness. If you indulge me, I'd like to read this story. In the mid-1700s in Ireland, there was a phenomenon called the gin craze. 
An overwhelming large number of people were drinking whiskey and gin as their primary beverage. Water was deemed unsafe due to microorganisms and mysterious diseases found in water unbeknownst to everyone. The parliament forbidden the importation of liquor in 1689, so the Irish and the British began making their own. This led to excessive drunkenness resulting in a poverty-ridden, crime-infested time. Statistics show that every sixth house in England was a gin house. That's a crazy statistic. Arthur Guinness was infuriated with this drunkenness. He constantly prayed to God to do something with the alcoholism on the streets of Ireland. In fact, he felt God calling him to make a drink that men will drink that will be good for them. And this was at a point where, you know, water... I know it sounds like I'm promoting something, but... But let me finish the story, you crazy people. <laughs> he then developed a duck stock beer called... Calm down. And this is what it says about Guinness. Guinness contains so much iron that people felt full before they can drink more pints, contributing to solving the growing trend of excessive drinking. Basically, Arthur Guinness had a goal. His goal was for people to drink a drink that had nutrients in him, but also be, be this thick form of beer that would actually cause people to be full so they would stop drinking multiple pints. There was a problem with excessive drinking because water was not available. So people, their only source of, of liquid was gin, was whiskey, was all this hard stuff. And it was in that context that Arthur Guinness developed Guinness. Guinness, as a result, became extremely successful. But the story doesn't end there. The story goes, as Arthur Guinness said in church one day, he was a successful brewer in Dublin, selling a drink throughout the city that made people healthier and helped them avoid the excesses of the hard liquor that had done so much damage for so many decades. And what makes this Sunday in Guinness's life so important is who he is about to hear. Because on this day, John Wesley was in town. Wesley, we know, is the founder of the Methodist Church, the man who started a small group at Oxford University from which a great revival grew. Wesley and his friends wanted simply to be good Christians, to perfect holiness, as they said. And so they preached the gospel they gave to the poor and visited prisoners and raised money to serve the needy. Whole cities were changed by the preaching of John Wesley. And now John Wesley had come to Dublin and was preaching at Arthur Guinness's church. We do not know what exactly Wesley preached, but we can know a few things. Wesley would have called the congregation to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. He would have insisted, your wealth is evidence of a calling from God, so use your abundance for the good of mankind. On this Sunday and on other occasions when he heard Wesley speak, Arthur Guinness got the message. He also got to work. Inspired by Wesley's charge, Guinness poured Himself, in founding the first Sunday schools in Ireland, he gave vast amounts of money to the poor, sat on the board of a hospital designed to serve the needy, and bravely challenged the material excesses of his own social class. He was nearly a one-man army of reform. And I don't have this on my notes, but Arthur Guinness then set a legacy for the rest of the Guinness line. It was said that uh, one of his descendants... Uh, probably his grandson, received an inheritance of five million sterling on his wedding day. And what he did was, he actually gave away all five million sterling, took his new bride to live in the most poverty-stricken areas of town in order for 
there to be attention drawn to the need of that day. Arthur Guinness and, and his descendants will go on to fund many initiatives, many missionaries, many orphanages, many churches. It's a man who has found purpose. And a purpose that goes beyond himself. Benefiting the world and mankind. Cheers. I wrote that in my notes, so. <laughs> That's a great story, huh? Yeah. Vision Sunday isn't just about you hearing my vision for the church. My goal for Vision Sunday is that you will begin to pray into a vision for your own life, a vision to serve the people around you, a vision for a better world. Like I said earlier, you know, from that quote, that most of us wouldn't have the greatness or the capacity to bend history in our day. But together, if we live life with such purpose, we can make a dent in the needs of the world. You know, we, we, we heard Arthur Guinness was inspired by John and Charles Wesley, by their preaching, by their charge given to the church. But most of us wouldn't know of Susanna Wesley, who was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. And this was what was said of Susanna Wesley, their mother. It says this, Although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, she is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because her two sons, John and Charles Wesley, as children, consciously or unconsciously, will or have applied the example and teachings and circumstances of their own, own, own home life. It was because of a woman named Susanna that we have John and Charles Wesley, founders of the Methodist Church. It's the reason why we have Arthur Guinness, who benefited mankind in many ways. It's also the reason why we have Guinness. Okay? How many of you are following me? How many of you know that Jesus was called the Christ? That Jesus Christ isn't his last name, you know? You know what I mean? It's not like Mary Christ and Joseph Christ and friend Christ and cousin Christ. How many of you know that? You know? Is it Revelation? I hope not. We have some work to do. Why is he called the Christ? This is what the word Christ means. It comes from the word Christos, which means the anointed one. Catch this. In the Bible, it talks about the spirit of this age, the anti-Christ spirit. Why is it not the anti-Jesus spirit? Why is it the anti-Christ spirit? The anti-anointing spirit. I put it to you that the devil knows that when you truly understand the weight of what you've been entrusted with, when you truly understand the purpose and responsibility that's been endowed to you as individuals first and foremost, when you truly understand the anointing, that you can really change this world. You can really better this world. And that spirit wars against that anointing. And from you discovering your God-given destiny and purpose on the earth. What if all of us made it a goal this year, from this Sunday, to discover what is our purpose on the planet? 
not just live life, not just be thrown around by the storms of life, be tossed around by every whim and fancy, but discover what is my reason for existence today. How can I better my world? Maybe, you know, the next revivalist, world changer lives in your home, your kids. Maybe you're called to preach the gospel to your colleague, to your boss. Maybe you're called to innovate, to solve some issues that the world is facing today. Maybe you're called to be creative, to produce things that point people to the beauty of God. Whatever it is, and whatever the expression may be, challenge yourself, charge yourself with a prophetic vision to better this world. Amen. Okay, I'll, that's what I really want to tell you, but I still have to talk about the vision of the church, okay? <laughs> this is my vision for our church, the city. I believe we are called to be a church in the city, for the city. As a church, we exist to better our world. I believe there are four kinds of churches that exist in the world today. A church that's in the city is geographically present, nothing else, it runs its services and that's it. I believe there are, that there are churches that are against the city, antagonistic and wars against the people of the city. I believe there are churches that, is, that are off the city. It imitates and looks like the city, a church that has exchanged its sanctification in the name of cultural relevance. But I believe that this will be called a church that's for the city, a church that serves and seeks the betterment of the city it has been planted into, a church that recognizes its calling, purpose, and mandate to bring heaven on earth. Our goal as a church is in our city as it is in heaven. Our vision is that we are in the city for the city. Am I making sense? I'd like to bring up this uh, verse before I then explain shortly in Jeremiah 29. And this, uh, I'll give you a brief context, is the instruction given from the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel who have just been taken captive by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were a really evil group of people. They pillaged uh, the land to which the Israelites were in and uh, they killed a bunch of people, but most of the people, they actually took them as captives. And their whole goal was to uh, assimilate them into Babylonian culture, and so that in two or three years' times, there were no more Israelites, there were only Babylonians. Think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo. That was their game plan, to elim eliminate the culture of Israel altogether by assimilating them into their Babylonian culture. And this is what Jeremiah said to the people says this, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Next verse. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I believe this is a key passage of Scripture for our church. Read that, that verse. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray that they will prosper and in doing so, you will prosper as well. The Bible calls all of us aliens. We belong to a different world. 
This earth is but a temporary thing. And one day we'll be carried into glory, into the arms of our Father, and we will experience a never-ending heaven, presence of God. But it's, it, I, my charge is this, while we are on this earth, while we were in, in, in a city that does not mirror what our kingdom, our heaven looks like, we are called to pray, to seek the peace, the prosperity of our city. You're making sense. Peace is not just the cessation of hostilities between people. That word peace literally comes from the word shalom, meaning wholeness, flourishing, thriving, betterment. As a church, our role and call is to seek shalom, welfare and the betterment of our city. The city ought to be better just because the church is in it. Am I making sense? How many of you are familiar with this uh, report uh, in the United Kingdom where uh, the KFCs there are shut down for a few days? Yes, you're familiar with it? Uh, I, I have the, the stats here. It says that more than 80% of all KFCs in Britain were forced to close because the delivery company that recently took over the job of getting chicken to each restaurant has been unable to deliver. It was a chicken logistic crisis. It says 750 KFC outlets across the UK were closed after a change in food distributors. And uh, this thing, though, that the news reported was that a lot of people, countless people, they couldn't count it, actually rang up the police on the emergency line and told the police that, hey, did you know that the KFCs in my town were closed? And it would cause such mass panic, peril, distress, depression, depression that... KFC had to issue a public statement to go, hey people, we are still here, do not panic, there's a chicken shortage crisis, but you know, stop calling the emergency line because we will be back. Why, why did people you know, do that? Why did people do that? Because you know, KFC has a real place in the heart. <laughs> How many of you can agree with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Original, crispy, whatever ways, tenders, I'll eat them all. But KFC you know, had such a place in their hearts that when, that, that when it seemed that KFC was going to be gone, people panicked. There was mass peril, mass distress, and it launched a bunch of people into a frenzy. When I read that, I was plagued with one thought. The thought is this. If today I were to close the doors of the city, and we will cease to meet as a church, as a church community, will the effect of this loss be felt in the city? Will the effect of us not existing as a faith community to bring about change in the world, when, will that effect be felt in the world? Not just in the world, in the city, in the merchants downstairs, you know. Will it be felt? I'll read to you a last story. This story is uh, for a man named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was uh, commonly known as the Prince of Preachers. He was an amazing, amazing preacher. But this is the story of his church. 
It was in the Victorian era with lots of industrialization. People were leaving farms by the thousands and pouring into the city. As a result, the population of the poor, the orphan, and the widow skyrocketed. A lot of the churches did what most churches do when neighborhoods become other resource. They run to the suburbs. The Metropolitan Tabernacle had asked what kind of church were they going to be? Would they be a church just in their city taking care of themselves? Or would they be a church against their city looking down on all people? Or would they be a church of their city being salt, not being salt and light? They decided to be a church for their city. They stayed in the middle of all chaos, made a difference and were for their city in the name of Jesus for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. And this was some of the things they did as a church in the midst of great poverty that, that plagued that land. They built over a dozen low-income housing residences where people could come to get on their feet until they could find a job. They built 17 fully funded homes for the elderly. Back then, there was no social security. If you didn't have a family to take care of you, there would be nothing else. They built these homes where people could come and be taken care of so that they could die with dignity. They built an orphanage while they housed, clothed, and educated 400 orphans. They changed the city of London to the point that it was said of this church that it, they had closed their doors during that time and decided to move out to the suburbs. The city of London would have grieved. What does it mean to be in the city for the city? It's not limited to just a geographical location, but it's recognizing that we have been endowed and anointed with such a purpose by the Holy Spirit. And we need to be on a conscious mission to better the world around us by improving the conditions, by meeting need, but also by preaching and boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation for all mankind. That's what we're called to do as a church. And you know, some of you might wonder, is this a new initiative? Is this a new thing that we are trying to do? You know, the city, we're called the city for a reason. And this church was planted with a vision to impact our city. We started in an interesting building, 50 Macpherson. We moved into a more interesting building, a B1 industrial building and line, line building next to different things. And it's amazing, very big. But it's been three years since we've moved to this location, right in the heart of the central business district. At this point, there are, there are no other churches like us. You know, they, are, they are located in this area. We are called to make a difference. And this is who we've always been. We're called the city for a reason. And today, because Pastor Daniel is not here and I'm in charge, <laughs> I'm going to play to you the vision video that was played to all early pioneers that charged them with a vision to impact the city. Let's have the video up. So people ask me, in this tiny island with 500 churches, is there a need for a new church? My answer is yes, because God spoke to us, because God called for one. Singapore is changing. In the last 25 years, we have evolved from a third world nation to a first class, first world city with first world problems. Every generation has the responsibility of reaching her own generation. And at the city, we really want to understand, identify, and reach people where they are. We've all realized that in this new city, we have created new needs and new bottom lines. 
We have exchanged family life for the pursuit of happiness, only to find out that that's a bottomless pit. But there's a better way. And at the city, we hope to demonstrate God's plan for families through supporting and mentoring young parents. And for the community as a whole, to show God's love through generosity and service. As we care for our families and community, we will see lives change. We will see lives that are connected to God, individuals that are free and whole, people that are empowered by God's Spirit to live like Jesus. And that's why we exist. That's what we're here for, to see changed people living lives that are drawing the world to Christ. We worship a God that makes beautiful things. He is creative and He has given us the ability to create and innovate. So let's work with Him and design this city together. Okay, that's our first logo. You know, if you were ever skeptical about going from glory to glory, you just need to watch this video and watch Pastor Daniel. He looks so much more glorious now. <laughs> Tell him I said that, please. Um, but this video was, was uh, it, it, we, we did this video up eight years ago. How many of you were early church pioneers? Show of hands. Yes? That's, that's what we planted this church with, you know, a purpose, uh, a vision to impact our city. Amen? I love that video for its orange tint. <laughs> that was cutting edge in that day before Instagram, you know, did the filters. The city had filters. When closing, I'd like to share with you some initiatives we have for this year. Initiatives for this year and, uh, you know, these are not all-encompassing but these are just some of uh, the things we hope to do as a church and I want to invite you to partner along with us, serve, give, lend your time, and uh, let's see the city transformed by the glory of God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. First thing, we, we, uh, initiative we're gonna, I'm going to talk about is Alpha. Uh, we've uh, seen five salvations through our efforts in Alpha. Feel free to cheer at any initiative. You know, it will really encourage me, the team. Come on. Five salvations through our efforts in Alpha. And one Daryl Angus through Alpha. So, who, by the way, if you all not heard, you know, is part of a great family. And we've seen at least fifty guests serve through two runs of Alpha. We've seen people healed of physical conditions in Alpha, and I'm excited to announce that we'll be running the Alpha course again this year. Here are some of the the statements made by our Alpha guests. I've always felt Christians were judgmental until I came to Alpha. Alpha provided with me with a safe place to ask questions. And this year, we hope and uh, endeavor to run two runs of Alpha this year. Awesome? The next initiative I would like to announce is Refuge. When we first moved uh, to this location, the Lord spoke to me and said, this church is called to be a place of refuge. And uh, I was meeting with one of my marketplace friends and he, he uh, clued me on this uh, alarming thing that uh, a lot of Christians working the CBD because of the sheer toxicity of some work environments because they lack a place of rest would actually walk to some of the neighboring churches and sit outside 
the church compound and eat their lunch there because they just want to be near a place and get this. He said, they want to be near a place of refuge. Some uh, three months ago, I met with a lady. She came into our church and she said, I feel that this place is called to be a place of refuge. And I'm excited to announce that we will be begin to open up our auditorium in the month of April on select weekdays during lunch for people to find a place of refuge in the CBD. Uh, we will have worship going on, scriptures that they can pick up to read, and, but people can also eat their lunch here and find a place of refuge, respite and rest in the midst of the CBD. We are in the city to serve our city. Excited for that? And this is also... Um, uh, you know, how many of you are thankful for Jason and what they do in Burning Hearts? Yes. Beautiful, you know. Jason has, has uh, gone around uh, Singapore and sounded a call for every church to have an expression of prayer, every church uh, to have a prayer room, to value prayer. And I feel that for many years, you know, we have been living vicariously through Jason and the Burning Hearts team. Like, Jason, do your prayer thing and we support, you know. But this initiative is our way of saying yes. We agree with that call. We agree with that mission. We agree with that vision that the city will be a house of prayer for the nations. And through refuge, we hope to see that happen in our church. Amen? I was trying to make this very Apple keynote but you know. <laughs> Apostolic Church. You know? Next initiative I'd like to announce is Thrive. Thrive. We've received many prophetic words uh, as a church about being a place of equipping and resourcing. And one of the mandates on this house is to resource and equip the body of Christ to thrive in life. I'm excited to announce that we will be beginning to create content on our media platforms. We're talking about devotionals, sermon excerpts, interviews. We'll be taking our Soul Prosperity and Honor series and turning it into shareable content, devotional content, live group content, stuff that you can share with your friends. And we really uh, are taking those words seriously. That this church, though small as we are, limited as we may be, we are called, we are given a dream to equip and resource the body of Christ to thrive in life. So I'm excited to announce that Thrive will begin uh, its production uh, in the second half of this year. And we are looking forward to more media content, interviews, and also um, look forward to, to sharing more stuff with you that you can share with your friends and watch them thrive in life. So Thrive is coming up. <laughs> Next thing I'd like to announce is Thursday night Bible study. Thursday night Bible study. And uh, we're going to have uh, seasonal Bible studies for us to go deep in the Word of God. And there are two kinds. One is a class-based Bible study. Uh, we are in talks with some Bible teachers and apologists to conduct classes here in the city. And so this is a great opportunity for you to go deep in the Word of God, to learn, to grow, to take your faith seriously. Amen? And so uh, that's one uh, initiative. And the other initiative I'm excited to announce is we're going to start this thing called Bible Conversations where I'll be running discussion groups for us to go deep and wrestle with the tough and weighty subjects of the Bible. And so to provide an avenue for you Christians who may have questions or may are in need of an outlet or avenue to talk and discuss some questions pertaining to the Christian faith but haven't been able to done so, this is a great opportunity for you as well. So Thursday night Bible studies, we're going to run it seasonally and we're looking to start one in the month of June. Amen? And the last thing I'd like to announce is missions. Here at City, we have two expressions of missions, local and global. 
in local missions, we will be looking to have two community outreaches this year, partnering with some of the social welfare organizations that we have worked with last year on 25 Days of Love. We'll also be getting behind Pastor Daniel and Joy, who have a real heart to start a fostering adoption movement in Singapore. I've been just, I don't think he wants it public, but hey, you know, uh, I've just been instructed by Pastor Daniel to buy the website uh, domain name .sg for uh, the website nomoreorphans.com.sg. And this is our senior pastors. These are the, the, the ones who have led us you know, for seven years. They are not retiring. They are refiring. They are being re re repositioned for a greater work, for a greater mandate. Come on. And we are getting behind them to see this dream of no more orphans in Singapore happen. Amen. So there will be many opportunities for us to get behind them, be it lending financially, but also I believe in lending strength. Let's dream of providing respite care for foster parents in Singapore. Amen? Let's talk about global missions. We have a church plant in Iloilo, just in case you don't know. Iloilo is in Philippines. And this year, we'll be focusing our global missions efforts on the city of Iloilo. We'll have three trips this year in June, August, and November. And we'll be working with orphanages, our church there, as well as a trash dump ministry. Now, when I went to Haiti, I worked with a trash dump ministry and one of the things we did uh, with the team there was we helped uh, the people living in the trash dump start their own businesses. And so what these people living in there would do is they would take uh, material from the trash and repurpose it into jewelry, into notebooks, into different things and they would sell them on an e-commerce platform that was based in the US. And so we have a real dream to partner long-term with uh, this trash dump ministry to not just go in and provide a one-off care, but to build long-term with them and to see transformation happen in the lives of the people. And we're really serious about that. And so we have a dream of elevating the poverty situation in Iloilo. And so our vision is to work with them long-term and to see the glory of God manifested even in the trash dumps. Amen. And so I'm excited to announce that in June... August and November, we'll be having trips. And so if you want to apply for any of that, you can just uh, email us on our admin email, approach any staff member, and we'll love to get you on board and get you more details. Amen? This is our 2018 initiatives for the year. How many of you are excited? I want to close off with this. God is doing something great in the city. Let's see God do something great in our city and in the cities of the world. You know, I came back uh, from Bethel with one prophetic word, among many, but this one prophetic word was, uh, it meant the dearest to me. And I, I was praying into a word from God. God, I need a word before I come back home. And three years ago, uh, my last week in Bethel, God spoke to me in one of the clearest uh, fashions and manners I've ever heard, the voice of God. And He said this to me, Andre, I want you to go back serve Daniel to the best of your ability and I will do something great in the city. I've given a good chunk of my life, my family's life to serve Pastor Daniel and I'll continue to do so. You know, he's a man that means the, the world to me and I'll continue to serve him to the best of my ability. But I just want to remind us as people that there's a twofold promise. That God will do something great in our city. He has done it before. He will surely do it again not to the same measure, but He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can conceive or imagine. The Bible promises this, that when the church is built, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Yeah. That's a promise. And so I invite all of you, as 
church community, whether this is your first time or whether you've been with us for eight years, to come once again recommit your lives to building this city and let's watch the cities of the world be transformed for the glory of God. Can we stand? Are you good? Come on, how many are stoked for the year, yeah? I tell you, man, this is going to be a great year, you know. Uh, not only that, we're also looking at uh, no, uh, more uh, ways to get uh, our MFL, PFL material out there. We want to benefit uh, Singapore with uh, the, the vision of healthy marriages uh, and uh, there's tons of stuff that's happening this year, so be really excited. But, you know, before we, we go any further... Uh, this is what I would like us to do. Uh, the first Sunday as me being lead pastor and uh, after hearing all, I've talked about the vision, uh, being anointed for purpose. You know, we can't do this based on our own strength. Can we agree on that? We can't do this on our own. There's a limit to the ingenuity of men. There's a limit to our strategic capabilities. There's a limit to our physical abilities. But with God, all things are possible. I love a translation of that verse found in the Passion Bible. It says that in God, there is no impossibility. And so today, before you know, we move on with our plans for the year, before we dream the big dreams, before we ask for a godly vision, let's take a moment and recommit our lives to recognizing that we are in desperate need of an all-powerful God. We are in desperate need of He who is able to supply all needs, of He who empowers us to live beyond our own physical ability. Let's close our eyes for a moment and let's commune with God. Tell Him how much you need Him. Tell Him. Tell Him how much you need Him. Tell Him how much you need Him. First as individuals. After you've done so, I want you to put a hand on the person next to you on your right and left. Let's join the aisles. As a church community and as the pastor of this church, Lord, we confess our need for you. Lord, we confess that we are nothing without you, that we're in desperate need of you. And Lord, today we submit our plans, we submit our goals, our ambitions, our dreams to you, O oh Lord. Lord, we ask, guide us, lead us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in the life of this church over the past eight years. And God, we trust and we know that you will be faithful till the end. Faithful till the end. And God, we ask that in this life, on this planet, 
that we will represent you well to the world who is in desperate need of a loving Father. God, we confess our deep need for you. And Lord, we ask that you will help us, that you will guide us, that you will fill us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. In this moment, pray for the person on the right and left that they will be filled with the Spirit of God. Ask for a fresh infilling, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Empower us by your Spirit, O God. Anoint us for a greater purpose, for a purpose that goes far beyond ourselves, a purpose for the betterment of the world around us. God, fill us, endow us with a prophetic vision for the world. Pray. Fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost. Fill us with purpose. Give us a mandate for our city and for the nations of the world. Shatarama. Come on, pray for them like you want to be prayed for. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Holy Spirit. I want you to pray for the person that really needs it. Put a hand on your own heart. You may have done so before, but ask once again, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me, fill me, fill me. Empower me by your grace and by your Spirit. Come on, pray for yourself. Pray, rededicate your lives, recommit. Ask for a fresh infilling. Fill me once again. Fill me once again. Fill me once again. Fill me once again. I'm in need of you. I can't do this on my own, God. I recognize my desperate need for you. Fill me once again. Fill me once again.